Hey, this is Dave Pryor. You're about to listen to an episode of The Reluctant Agilist where my friend Tim Wise and I dig into the question of how do I say no? So in every single product owner class that I teach, it's something people are always asking about. They want to know how to approach that conversation from a position of strength and safety. They want to know what kind of questions they have to be ready to answer and how do they make sure that they actually have a good reason for saying no. And when they have to speak to people higher in the food chain than them, how can they respectfully but politely convince them that what they're asking for is not the right thing. Before we get into the podcast, I just want to explain one thing. At the end of the recording, you're going to hear Tim talk about some live events. He was supposed to speak uh, at the Scrum Atlanta user group on March 25th. That event was canceled, obviously, because of what's going on with the coronavirus. He also mentions Agile Day Atlanta, which because of what's happening with the public health crisis, they have moved the event out. So now Agile Day Atlanta is going to take place on August 14th, but they're still going to have a virtual conference on May 8th. And you can find out all about that stuff by going to agiledayatlanta.com. All right, now, on to the podcast. Stay healthy. Thanks. It's real hard to tell someone no if you don't know why they, are, they one, want the thing that they want, and two, you know why you're not going to deliver that thing. This is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Today, Tim Wise is here. Tim, say hello to all these fine people that are listening. Hey, everyone. Thanks, Dave, for having me. Thank you for putting up with three false starts on this podcast, Tim. Um, So um, we're going to talk about a question that I get in every single product owner class. And Tim is a coach of coaches, so I'm, I'm hoping that he can provide a lot of really valuable insight. But the question is, for product owners or anybody who's dealing with people in authority who constantly come to them demanding new things, how do you say no and get them to listen? Um, so we're going to talk all about that. But before we do, Tim, can you give these fine people a, kind of a, a rundown on your background? And, and we should probably also, before you do it, say that you and I work together, just so that we're totally upfront about that. But Yes, we do work together. Uh, different verticals, right? But we, we work together uh, for sure. And I I'd call you a friend as well. Uh, so the, um, I guess my background is in technology to begin with, coming up as a programmer, computer science, um, you know, bridging out from there uh, into things like product and advising uh, product management as well as product ownership and getting into Agile um, and still not leaving the technology side behind. But today it's, it's more in the uh, organizational transformation um, all things transformation, so business agility, consulting, and the like. And so I want to try to give some context for this. So um, before I became a trainer, I did a lot of agile coaching where I would get sent out to an organization and my job would be to help kind of stand up a team and get them going. But Tim, when you're doing work, you're often working with the coaches to help them, right? Yes, and of varying degrees of expertise, right? Uh, so some that may not have uh, been in a transformation before. Uh, they may be new to the role. Um, and then others that are well-known industry experts. So it's, it's a, a wide breadth. Okay. And you work with the leadership as well? Uh, absolutely, sure. Uh, in, in all forms, from the the direct line leader uh, all the way up to say an executive level as well. Okay. So 
I want to try to approach this from the perspective. Let's say that I'm I'm somebody who's a coach, or maybe I am a product owner. Um, I come to you and I say, look, here's my problem. Like I understand the basics of this job, but I've got really demanding managers who are used to being able to just snap their fingers and have whatever they want, and they keep wanting more stuff than we can do. So maybe there's. I'm curious as to like how many different ways we can cut through this, but. When you're talking with somebody in that situation and they're struggling with figuring out how to say no with confidence and with some sort of, you know, backup to support their argument, um, how do you how do you coach them through that? Yeah, I, I like the 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 lead in there. First, there's all kinds of people that make demands, right? It could be uh, their own leadership, the executive side, the salesperson, the marketer. Um, their customer base, anyone that's a stakeholder, right? Uh, so there's a variety of places that demand comes from. And it's really important then to learn how to say yes and to learn how to eloquently say no. Uh, but no one likes to hear that, that N-O word, do they? <laughs> so uh, that's at the root of this conversation today, I think. But I think you propped it up well with, um, I forget the words that you used there, but with, with any credibility or with confidence. any knowledge. Confidence is, Con- the, is confidence. the main thing. Yeah. 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 How do you say uh, no to something with confidence? Um, and I, I guess one of the questions that, that I would start off with is, well, what do you have the authority over? What do you, what do you, uh, what's in your control? What's in your power? What decision rights are in your power? Um, as well as who, you know, who are you? Uh, so I'm assuming that there's someone that's a product manager or a product owner type of person that, that's asking me this, right? I, I really want to know um, how much control they have uh, over their own destiny or are they, I'm trying to suss out if they yeah. are order taking, right? And, and they're passing and they're a pass through. Well, let's, um, let's, let's and, assume that they are because that's what I, maybe they, I, I, it's hard for me to say if they are, or they aren't when they come into the class, but a lot of them sure. feel like, mm-hmm. you know, even though I'm saying if you're a PO, your company's entrusting you to do this stuff, they don't feel like they have the agency to say no. So it's hard for me to tell whether or not the folks that I get in class that ask about this are truly empowered or not, or it's just, mm-hmm. they're afraid or they don't know how they've never been in a spot where they could say no. Right. Yeah. Or, or they're afraid because they don't have the, uh, the framework around them, the thought pattern of how to say no. I'd say a lot of that comes from confidence and, and, and that credibility word as well. So um, do they have control over their own system and, and how they approach the world? And I say that intentionally, what I mean by control is can they, make and meet commitments to their customers? Can it make and meet commitments to their organization? If they say, yes, this is when something is, is going to come out, are they about right? You know, uh, I think it's a, it's a fallacy to say that that's go- going to occur all the time, but it's not unrealistic to say it should occur most of the time. If I say, what I say is true, then it should occur. That gives you both your, you know, the baseline of, the it earns the credibility from those that are around you so how do you do that right that's that's kind of step one is how do you gain the trust of others that what you say is is indeed true and you're going to make and meet your commitments uh that are that are out there so before before we go down the path of saying you know no you can't have x we have to be able to say we're going to deliver y and deliver it and demonstrate that we're trustworthy 
I don't think it's necessarily a um, a prerequisite, let's say, but it certainly does help you come from a position that where others can be where you can actually be trusted by others, and they they would actually listen to you. Okay. Um, so one of one of the great um, mistakes is is you know either and you have to that's why the control bit is out there so uh is someone handing you a date where there's not much you can do about it if someone's handing you a date someone just handed you a date so you have to work through techniques of things like mvp uh and you have to know your capacity that you're dealing with and the likelihood that you would actually be able to pull it off that way you could go back with credibility and certainty and say okay here's what i'm dealing with there's Either a yes, we can we we can do that with a fairly high level of confidence, or b no, there's no way we make that. I I, I can't actually promise you something that that is unlikely to occur, or I already know won't occur. I, uh, that's one of the worst things that we can do. No one wants the death march. Well, so one of the things that I always have tried to do when I was coaching project managers was to get them to understand that. Being successful in that job, it's not, in, in my opinion, that it's not so much about whether or not the project delivers on time, on budget, and scope. It's about whether or not you are always honest with the people you're working with. Because whether you Absolutely. deliver or not, if you don't have their trust, if they don't know that when you say, I can eat 50 eggs, that you're going to eat 50 eggs, then you're useless and they can't plan. And, and that adds to their anxiety. Right. And, and I'd layer onto that. No surprises. Right. So don't, don't hold surprises until the end and say, okay, everything's on track, it's on track, on track. And now it's not right at the end. Um, which is a lot of what agile is, is trying to mitigate there. It's, it's early and often value taking the risk out of things really quickly to figure out if you can pull it off okay, or if it's not worth chasing. Um, you know, that's, that's a definitive thing in iteration based, uh, planning and execution. So do you, do you uh, think it's, it's fair to say to somebody moving into a PO role that you're going to have to, let's say they don't have that track record in the past. They were a yes person yeah. or an order taker before to say to them, look, you're just going to have to figure this part out on your own. Um, let me, let me reword that back and see if I understand it. Um, so do I think it's fair to them if if uh if we say you you gotta figure out how to make things uh deliver on time or be honest? I don't think we it's it's not the the honesty thing. Most people try to be honest. They they may not know that they're uh operating in a manner that will lead them to a place where they appear dishonest. <laughs> That's you know, like things failing late. Uh, so there are techniques around that, sure. Um, so things like breaking down, uh, breaking down these goals of an organization, we want to do this, and breaking that down into smaller and smaller incremental pieces of value, and then delivering on that incrementally. Uh, so, um, and then to take those high risk, unknown things, uncertain things, and create clarity and uh, to them by actually doing them and getting over those humps early. Uh, so you can figure out if it's viable or not. I, I think those are pretty easy techniques that are that are fairly well known now. Um, okay. As far as how to do story decomposition and and how to do things like release planning, 
Um, you know, those are, um, there's lots and lots of guidance out there these days on that. And then subsequently how to measure, you know, uh, baseline things like, um, team velocity and, and figuring out what capacity is and doing a, a simple capacity plan uh, and about right capacity plan, right. Of saying, okay, well the team, most of the time the team hits 80% of their, of their uh, velocity. So that's probably a good uh, boundary to set. If we can break things down and have them planned out to 80%, then we're most likely going to hit that mark. Uh, overall, I can approach that with high confidence. Okay. When you said velocity, I just want to check. You meant the velocity that they forecasted being able to deliver by the end of the sprint, the number of points or things they were going to have accepted by the end, their commitment. Yeah. About, on, on average, we, we hit about 10 things, right? Okay. Uh, 10 points. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to have to get some level of trust with that at least, or at least even if, even if we're not, hitting it consistently, knowing that, having clarity and transparency in terms of how predictable are we is going to help them understand the position that they're in when they come into a conversation where they're saying no. That's right. And, and probably the things that I'm going to focus on then with a, with a PO type is, you know, one, can they break things down effectively uh, to where the team, can they impart the story to the team? Uh, and, and really tell the story of what they're trying to achieve. Here's okay. what we're trying to achieve. Let's work together to figure out what's needed to do, what we need to do about it. Um, and can I, can I effectively work with a team that way and figure out MVPs and how to write stories? Sure, got it. Um, I'm, a, I'm also going to work with them on, on things like, okay, what, what are the gotchas? So if we are constantly changing out team members, it's going to be a gotcha. You're not going to have a really good stable velocity, right. uh, most likely, m most likely, right, in that, in that case. So how do we stabilize the team uh, so you can actually make and meet your commitments? Do we, um, how do we reduce dependencies uh, such that the team can take care of most of their work? Um, so it's, those are kind of like the, the basic building blocks, I guess, overall. Do we have a stable team? such that we can have a stable velocity and how, and how good am I as a product owner at, at, uh, at portraying, here's what we're trying to accomplish. Okay. So they, they're going to have to work with the dev team and the scrum master to get to a point where they have some level of hopefully stability, if either way, awareness of it. Um, that's right. Let's say that they have that and that's great data to have, but it still doesn't, teach them you do how, it. yeah because like if i'm <laughs> if i'm if i'm in one of those fear-driven command and control organizations that's like look we bought you jira go be agile give me stuff faster i want it faster oh and i had an idea in the shower this morning do that too because i'm agile i change my mind all the time um and if that person has always said yes then even giving them all the data in the world that shows historically how much are they going to done is it necessarily going to make it possible or at least seem possible for them to say no it won't make it seem possible i i, I do recall this uh it's it's one story and and it's i think it's a really impactful one of of a uh it, it was a cio of a company and and they made a a request and everyone stopped and on 30 teams and they said oh, it's time to pay attention to this request 
They want it. It's the next thing that they want. And I just posed a simple question back to you and I said, are you sure it's the next thing they want? Or have you put the roadmap of things in front of them that you plan on doing and said, hey, this is what I expect to drop off as a result of doing the thing that you asked for? Yeah. And it, and when they went back, there was, uh, they didn't do that, right? So they went back and they did it and they, and the, and the uh, executive said, well, yeah, I'd love those other things first. This isn't as important as everything else we were doing. Meanwhile, you've, you've inadvertently caused a ripple throughout a, a big or, you know, a sizable organization of 30 teams that they all stopped. They stopped what they were doing and change their focus, which is not something that the executive or anyone else wanted. So just having the, uh, knowing your capacity also enables you to know about where you're at on your roadmap of things that you're going to do um, and say, okay, I need to prioritize these bigger blocks that are, that are out here waiting so that I can have the conversation with other people. I'm going to accomplish this and then we're going to accomplish this and then we're going to accomplish this. What you're asking me to do, uh, you can either have a conversation about with them about, well, where do we see this in the priority sense? Where do you see it in a priority sense? If someone's just used to commanding it, or you can start to say things like, I intend to do this and then this and then this, and your request in my mind falls in right here. Uh, I'm, I'm wanting to have a conversation about whether I promote this up or down, but the value I see out of it is right here. Okay. And that's, that's not saying no and saying, help me understand the value of this such that I can help you promote it up into the, the backlog. Because right now I can't represent it to the team uh, in a way that is clearly articulating the value. Okay. So I want to point out that you had a little David Marquet moment there with I intend to, which I did, yes. It, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if people aren't familiar with David Marquet, um, I mentioned this on a, another podcast recently. That he's got the book Turn the Ship Around, which a lot of people have read, and that talks a lot about intent-based leadership. But his newer book, Leadership as Language, for me was it's just like hugely impactful in how you phrase things when you're talking to people. Um, like Tim just used the example of I intend to instead of I'm going to, because um, it leaves a little room for the other person to chime in and say, hey, wait a second. You know, why? That's right. Yeah, you're giving them the opportunity to disagree without yourself disagreeing and saying, no, I think your, your idea is trash. You're not saying that. You're saying, here's the value that I understand out of it. You know, I'm, lo- you know, I'm looking to understand more to see where I would place it. You're also keeping a lot of the accountability, a lot of the authority on yourself when you say things like that. So words do matter in this case, and it, and it takes practice. How critical do you think having a prioritization technique that is known by everyone is to that, is to having the conversation you just mentioned? Um, I'm, it depends on who you're speaking with and, and, and everything, but from an executive angle, I, I don't know if the prioritization method necessarily has to be defensible as, as the, the conversation around how you value things and what your expected return on investment will be and, and, or, and that could be a dollar sign or it could be some other, um, you know, uh, non indirect, uh, 
kind of valuation of it. But um, I think as long as you can articulate the value conversation, then you can have an honest conversation about, well, this is where I see things help me because I'm not currently seeing it the same way. That's an honest conversation that most people are are willing to have, um, whether it be the executive or the customer base um, themselves. Okay. So one of the things that I was trying to get to with the prioritization thing, which I don't know if this fits in with what you just said or not. So I want to check with you on it. I always Mm -hmm. tell people in the class that you want to get to a point where they don't see you as the person that's rejecting them or their request. They see that the process that you've all agreed upon is the one that's causing the rejection. So I'm saying to you, look, we agreed we're going to, like you just mentioned, you know, if it's value, how do we quantify value by revenue plus um, reduction in technical debt? And those are the two things that move the needles. So I always wanted to feel like the product owner is pointing to, is saying to the person who's asking for something, look, show me that you can make the needles move and then we'll do your thing. Otherwise, we already agreed we can't do your thing. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not looking to have a uh, uh, one thing that struck me as odd just then was you want you want to kind of lay blame on the process. So I don't I don't want to lay blame on the process. I actually want to lay blame on the value and the complexity of the thing that we're doing. So if it's not valuable, I want it to be something that we yeah. So it's a conversation more than it is a process, right? It's okay. a provable thing. Um, but a lot of things aren't necessarily provable uh, to the extent that, okay, we can get down. This is going to generate $4 million in revenue. Yeah. So we have a lots of assumptions loaded in, lots of this, lots of that. So unless there's a contract on the line, uh, you don't actually know how much it's going gonna, it's gonna to generate. I actually think that's a pretty hard uh, problem to solve. We're a $100 million company. We have uh, $10 million in contracts lined up, but they require us to do this, this, and this. Okay. And that doesn't necessarily line up with any of your other customers. It's solely to get the contract. So that's one that you have to be willing to approach that from the angle of, okay, do we do things for the good of the contract or do we do things for the good of our customer base? But that's a very specific, but it's probably the hardest one to say no because contracts may have already been signed. Contract, you know. So you're really looking to expand your influence so that you can have those conversations much earlier before okay. they sign the contract <laughs> okay. on that one. So, um, but that's where I would approach it from. Okay. Yeah. I think part of, for me, part of why I was, you know, kind of pushing on that last thing is that let's say that you had an idea and you come to me and I'm the PO and I'm like, no, we're not doing it. Um, here's why we're not doing it. I want to. I would like for you to leave that conversation with the feeling that it's up to you to find a way to prove that that thing is valuable enough to do right now. And if you know how those decisions are being reached, not in sort of a punitive way, but like our, or like we're going to adhere strictly to my process way, but in that we sat down at the beginning and said, "Look, this is how we decide what we do next. This is you know the standard way things move up and down. If everybody knows it, then it can sure. be their job to craft the argument. Yeah, and I still think it's a it's a co uh, a co crafting there or or whatnot. No, I'll go in a little bit to that. Does it help to have a a process that you are backed on and can count on? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I, I won't say no to that one. 
Um, you know, does it help to have kind of a standard way that you're approaching uh, estimating uh, whether that be the size and complexity of the work or estimating the value uh, of the thing that you're building or, uh, you know, how much risk is in it? Um, what's the cost of delay on it, essentially? Okay. Um, and those are all things that are worthwhile having it, that they're a tool in the tool bag. And there are lots of people that don't care exactly how you came up with that thing. It is good for them to know that there's a standard way, sure. Um, but they'll, they'll question. I think at the end of the day, a lot of people will question how you valued it more than just about anything. And, um, and that at times can be subjective. So it's important to know things like, well, why did I value it this way? Was it a gut call? Uh, or did I know my market and know my customer such that I have data uh, that says that they're likely to be interested in this thing? Did I test the market to see if people were interested in it? Um, how much have I created the, the, uh, the desire yeah. uh, for people to actually uh, want it? You know? Okay. Those are all, all in play. Okay. So let's, let's just assume for a moment that this person, the, the product owner, is has a team that's fairly predictable, has some data to back it up, um, yeah. but they're still really hesitant about having that conversation, really nervous about having that conversation. I mean, this is something that like, I think everybody goes through as they're moving through their careers. I mean, one of the things that happened for me that I, I talk about sometimes, and I don't I'm not saying it's a good thing was I just found myself in that situation so many times that saying what I had to say and waiting to see if I was going to get fired or not became like kind of exhilarating. <laughs> it was like the only fun part left because I really don't know. Like somebody at the top of the food chain, I'm like, look, we're not doing your thing. I'm like, all right, you know what? You can go. I'm going to get somebody who says yes. Um, but how do you, how do you help people build the confidence or the comfort or just the, how do you help them find the agency to be able to walk into a room and say, look, we're not doing your thing. We're not doing your thing. We're not doing your thing. We're only doing his thing or her thing. Um, Cause that's still hard. You're rejecting people and people worry about the kind of the blowback from that. Yeah. And I think as long as it comes from a place of honesty, um, you know, well, I, I work best off the scenario type of conversations, right? So a lot of times people will request not that you solve a problem, but they'll request that you provide a solution. Um, they'll tell you exactly what they want. And so some of those won't be valid for whatever reason. Healthcare is full of those. Um, right. Well, I'd like to do things this way, but it flies directly in the face of how customers B, C, and D like to do it. So we have to, we either have to think of something new uh, we have to think of a way to reframe the problem or we have to say, you know, this is not that it's not in the best interest of the, of the product right now and the overall user base. Uh, if we go down this road, here's why. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it comes from knowledge and, uh, you know, good working knowledge of, the, of their product space as well, uh, knowing why it's not a good decision. Um, it, it's real hard to tell someone no if you don't know why they are they one want the thing that they want and two you know why 
you're not going to deliver that thing. And, and most of it's not to do with time or scope or anything like that. It's, it's more rational, uh, more rational than, than that. It's a conversation about this. This is not what other customers are doing. Let me understand it, see if it's something that they would like, but if you already know the answer to it, then why not guide your customer to the right spot? Okay. Uh, instead, like, no, the, actually what we see across the industry is best practices, X, Y, and Z. So we're not going to do your thing, but here's how we guide you to use this, this system. Okay. So if you're, if you're showing them how to use the system, then it will be their responsibility to come back with the right question so you can say yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I must say that at times, uh, have you ever went into a team that had too little to do? I'm just asking a question now. I'm going to reverse you for a yes. second. <laughs> yes. You have went into the, how many of them out of the many teams that you were, I bet you can count them on one hand. Probably. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I don't think it was it's, that they didn't have enough to do. It was that there was stuff to do that they weren't interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Like, cause there's always stuff to do. I mean, if you're not working on the product, you could be dealing with technical debt. You could be, you know, refactoring this thing or that thing. Um, there wasn't anything hysterical that they had to address right away, maybe, or that they chose to yeah, address most, right away. Most teams that I hit have two to, I'd say two to eight to 10 times as much work as they can possibly achieve in the near and far term and long term. But near and far, they have like way, way too much work in the system, which is a sign that someone has not said no uh, effectively, that they don't know how to prioritize, that they don't know how to tell how much their teams can do. Yeah. Uh, so they've just stacked up the, the work in the system. But we know that just stacking stuff up in the system and saying, well, we're working on it, we're working on it, is not a good plan for how to gain credibility in the organization. And it's actually going to slow the team down if they're working on all of that stuff at the same time. So neither one of those are a good way forward. So a good way forward is let's limit the things that we're working on at any one time, figure out what we can really do and work to improve ourselves on a consistent basis. And then constantly promoting what's the truth of the situation to, to the outside, being transparent about it. Yeah. And uh, I think that the truth will set you free on, on this one. <laughs> if you have a if you have a truly irrational person, which I've had uh, the distinct pleasure of working with, you know, one or two <laughs> irrational people over my career, uh, that either one they they too were not willing to um, to say no to people, so they would keep their keep their thumb on on their folks and get as much as they could. Uh, out of out of them, even in the face of this is what we can do, um, then you're dealing with someone that's either under extreme amount of pressure, or you're dealing with someone that is irrational and it's just going to ignore the the data. I don't I don't find too many of those people out there, that, but I do find a lot of people that are an, under an enormous amount of pressure. But I really want to dig up under that and get to what's the most amount of pressure I can relieve because I can't relieve it all. And uh, I need to know and gain your trust on this. Uh, you know, I'm in it. I'm in it with you, but there's only so much that we can do. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the honest conversation. So I, yes, I, I'm going to be all improv. Yes. And 
I totally agree with everything you're saying. I'm just still thinking that those conversations can still be really hard. Like, how did you learn how to have conversations about stuff like that? Because I know that you do, and it doesn't seem like it freaks <laughs> you out that much. Yeah, well, I, I think as a as a young lad, <laughs> I, was, I was faced with that Back in on six, when you were a young lad. <laughs> Back in... Yeah, when I was a young lad, uh, I was faced with it very, very early on, and um, you know, I too had a had a sea level uh, person that would go unnamed, uh, but they, um, you know, I went to them. I knew my teams and my set of teams' capacity, and and I knew what we could do. I knew that we had two things, and I knew that we could do one of them and achieve it with great success, and. Uh, my, it was a CTO. So my CTO, uh, I said, which one of these two is a higher priority for you? They're both about the same size. And the team's capacity is such that we can only achieve one of them. And right. he said, I want them both. And, um, and I said, well, we cannot do both. Um, that's not That's not possible with our current situation. We broke it down. We've got the MVP out of it. We've uh, stripped as many things out as we possibly could down to the quick and cut as many things out till it hurts. And then we cut some more. This is what remains um, for us. We can, we can do one of them. And he said, well, I still want both of them. And I said, which one would you be less mad at me for if I dropped? (laughs) 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 I just had to, I had to deal with it that way because it was, uh, you know, presented with all the data in the world. The person was not going to say anything, but they wanted both of them. And I said, look, at some point, I've got to take the bullet because I'm not going to mislead you. The other alternative there is to, uh, by the way, is is not something that I would personally recommend, but I do want to acknowledge it. It's to to not buy the bullet there. I think a lot of people take this one, though, and they say, well, okay, well, I'll do both of them. And... Uh, and then they quietly look for a, a job transfer to another division or to another <laughs> <laughs> place for a while, right? And so you really that that then requires more of well leadership. Did they really get what they wanted out of that? Did the CTO get what they wanted? Who do they want? Do they want the honest person, or do they want the person that's going to say yes and then not deliver? And uh, that's at the end of the day. I mean, I've met so few uh, C-level folks that that were not, you know, for the most part, credible and upstanding. You know, they got to their position for a reason. Yeah. Um, so they're they're a pretty reasonable bunch uh, that are under a, tr- a tremendous amount of of pressure and scrutiny. So uh, just having that honest conversation to me makes someone appear. Uh, not like they're a uh, a bad employee, but rather like they're a good employee. And you know, we're we're willing to reinvent. We're willing to take looks at this stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to tell you a lie. You know. Okay. That's a that's a good way to approach things. Okay. Um, I'm a product owner, and I've never been in a situation where. I I felt like I had the authority to say no. Um, nobody's ever said to me before, the most responsible thing you can do is say no. I was taught you always say yes. 
because it's your job to keep to keep those people happy um, within within an individual right let's say all the data in the world is is in front of them they can totally prove logically why whatever's being asked for can't happen but the mechanism within their head the muscle within their head that gives them the the confidence um, you know their own sense of credibility and, and their own awareness of what they can actually control it's it's hard to talk yourself into a place where you feel comfortable actually saying no if you've never done it before if if you don't feel like that's your right yeah if you don't feel it's your right to say no uh, or they won't, you know, like the phrase, they won't let me. They say we have to. I yeah. had a guy last week I, said that management, he was late for class because management forced him to go to a meeting. Yeah, that's, a, that's kind of the mindset challenge, right? But I don't think that's sufficient to call it a mindset challenge. Um, and in, here's why. Um, so I hate a victim. You probably hate a victim. We all hate victims, and yet we're all victims. Yeah, I was going to say, I hate myself a lot. Yeah, we have to overcome our own fallacies on all that stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we can throw self-help books out, out at people all we want until they're willing to take it on board. They're not willing to take it on board and, and really own that outcome. Um, so little things, I, I think, you know, intent-based leadership is, is one, but there's intent-based working just in general. You don't wait for the leadership to, to say that. So that's a really good technique to use. Uh, here's what I intend to do. You're not saying no, it's what you intend to do. Right. So that's a little baby step in the right direction, I think. Um, you know, I, to tell you the truth, leadership is waiting around for people to take the ball. Most people won't take the ball. Yeah. They, they, they would die for people to take the ball. <laughs> people won't take the ball. <laughs> no one wants to sit over and micromanage you. So, um, and that's, that's probably not the definition of most executives um, that, I've, that I've ever met. So uh, they are waiting for people to take the ball and run with it. Now, some of their behavior may be detracting from people taking the ball. Sure, that, that can be worked on and changed some. Um, but the... The principle of people waiting for someone to empower them, waiting for someone to give them the authority, I think that's, uh, it's a bit of truth and a bit of lie. The lie in it is that people, even given the opportunity, will sometimes not take, take the ball and run with it. Right. Um, the truth in that is sometimes the processes, the systems, the teams that we've set up, the structure of the organization, and I would, I would venture to say most of the time, um, instead of sometimes those don't actually promote people taking the ball. They promote corporate compliance and, and people, um, you know, doing what they said. Did you do what you said you would? What do you commit to today after I told you to, you know, what to commit yeah. to? So work, working, <laughs> you can working do whatever you want as long that. as it's this. Yeah. We planned this for you. So you need to do that. Um, yeah. So working your way out of that is, is a really hard problem to solve. And I think it takes skilled sets of people. That's part of what we do in transformation of how do we align the organization to, uh, to allow for empowered teams. It doesn't mean that people will magically turn on that light and take the ball and run with it. That's, uh, that's where you're giving them the opportunity to do so. 
uh, and setting the expectation that they do so, but some people still won't do it. You would still get right. people at your class that say, no one has let me. Um, so I think that's a real, it's a dual problem. Uh, I believe in solving the systematic problem first. So what's the structure of the organization need to look like? What are the processes that are taking away or they're promoting uh, following instead of leading? And then working on people as they come through uh, and, and they are in that new structure and environment to say, okay, here's, here's actually the opportunity that's at hand. You can, you can take control of your life and you can take control of this product and here's, here's how to do it. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of different aspects of this. Um, I'd like to try to give folks that are listening something they can do to try to tune up their abilities with this. Um, have you ever coached people into any kind of activities or role-playing or games or anything like that around the idea of developing their muscle of saying no, even in an uncomfortable moment? Yeah, well, I'm going to steal from uh, a person that I, I took a scrum class from a long time ago, like way long time ago. His name is Mike Fisters. Uh, and you probably know Mike. Uh, yes. But Mike had had the class to that point in time. He had the class do a uh, what's called a failure bow, right? Um, and it's basically like it, it's kind of cheeky, uh, to be honest. But um, I do it in every single che- class. Cheesy, every time I screw cheesy. something up, like, I do it. Yeah, and you model that behavior right uh, for for the class. It's it's I failed. You throw your hands up and say I failed at this. It's kind of like getting people to acknowledge. Yeah, I don't succeed all the time. It's okay to say I failed at something. Uh, then it's about, well, how do you apply that when the pressure's on in the real world situation? Uh, it becomes very apparent and very real. Yeah. Um, so that's the part that there's, sure, it's, it's just like saying no uh, to things. So I think it, in part, I'd, I'd like to steal from that a little bit and say, well, why not propose situations in, in lieu of saying that this is the exact right moment to, to say no? How about defining something that's obvious that you would say no to, like um, maybe someone's being insensitive from a, a, a gender race or something like that. Something is totally yeah. not allowed, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay, no, you can't do that. Um, and well, where, do, where then do you draw the line if you can't always say no to someone? Where is the line in there that's about right? And you don't need to focus on all things uh, of having all authority. This is the little subsection of things that, that you need to make a call on. And they're okay. going to be hard. So that's the one that when you hit one of those situations, plan out you know, some ways that you would respond. Um, and I would say respond to, you know, practice it on people that are friendlies at first, if you will. But the, the people that, that aren't going, you know, you don't take some of the pressure away from yourself. They're the people that won't fire you. Right. Yeah. Um, and work your way up to the person that can, uh, let you go, you know, if, if that's the case. So, uh, you know, getting good practice in there of, of not just, and don't just say no, practice some of that intense stuff. Like here's what I intend to do, but have it where it's not in agreement with what they told you. Um, and, and see how that goes for you. Try a couple of experiments there and, you know, see how, see how things play out. Give yourself a little confidence along the way. Okay. Uh, but real, do realize that most people are waiting for other people to take the ball and, 
and run with it to, to actually lead something, um, then it's up to you to actually take it. Okay. Yeah, I think that um, for me, like I always recommend the role-playing thing. That kind of stuff has been really powerful for me is having other people be like the person that is, you know, the one who's going to be yelling and screaming at me and stuff like that. And not just kind of getting practice and working through those puzzles, but um, getting feedback from whoever I'm practicing with on like what's going on with my face and my hands and my body. Like, am I saying, do you know, and I look like a shaking mess that's about to crumble or do I look like somebody who's saying no, because look, I'm the one that's watching all this stuff. I got all this data. I can show you that we're not going to get there, but I'm just telling you, yeah. no. you know, like that to I've me, got, that's that confidence is a lot of that too. I've got one for you. Cause I think you'll like this. Uh, it, and it's something I did way long time ago in college. Uh, but it was to help me uh, get over actually speaking in public. Uh, so I would force myself into safe places to speak and then watch how people would react to me in a contrary when I would, and I would be a bit contrarian in it, um, which is kind of a childish thing to do in my opinion these days. I can but, hey, totally I see you doing that. Though. I was college. I was in college, right? I was learning. So, so you were picking uh, verbal it, arguments just for the hell of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, for me, it was about, getting, you know, breaking down that, that false barrier and it worked. Um, now, do I think that's appropriate for all professional environments? No. So what environment is appropriate for you? Go figure that out. Uh, do some practice. Don't get yourself in trouble. And <laughs> but have a little fun with it while you're also working the muscle out to say, okay, how do other people react and what's normal? Because I think a lot of people that can't say, can't have that discussion may not you know there's there's some normalcy to it yeah. to, to being you know bashful or, or being scared at first and then there's an irrational zone where you're just the person that's always going to get bulldozed over and is too timid you don't want to be that um because you'll always be bossed around yeah and i think to me it's just practice you just have to go through it over and over again um well, hopefully, I hope this this helps folks, at least in terms of giving them some ideas or some things to think about. Do you have any books that you recommend that people turn to or videos they watch or any examples of anything they could look to to try to just at least intellectually get started getting more awareness of things to focus on when they're doing this? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm cutting that question out. All right. No, no, that was me practicing saying no. To oh, uh, well, so, so there's another great example. You could just practice saying no to everybody to see what happens. Uh, yeah. So uh, as far as books, look, uh, from your mindset side, it's, uh, it's going to be like seven habits, highly affected people, uh, you know, um, things that, that build your confidence. Yeah, speed of trust. Uh, that that's a good one. Then it's uh, you know in the more transformational side, I, I would absolutely recommend looking at leading agile stuff and and what we do there from the structure and the governance side of things and the metrics part. Um, that's a very real part of it too. So uh, you know you combine attack it from all sides uh, and then go out and have fun and have some practice at it is is the other the other part of it as well. Well, so the, I want to. Before we go into the, the last thing I'm going to ask you about, the fact that you just mentioned fun, I think, is important. If you can find a place that is low risk outside of work where you can practice saying no and getting ease with that, and especially if it can be something fun, then 
it'll be easier to carry that into the workplace, I think, because it's just a muscle you don't use enough. Yeah, yeah. Go over to your mother-in-law's and just say no. The whole thing. No. Uh, don't have that much fun, but you have fun. Yeah, yeah. just do everything your spouse asks you to do in the next 24 hours. Just say no. <laughs> That's not the passport. <laughs> no. All right. So um, I know that, that you've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, you do. Tim does a lot of volunteer work in helping to um, put on events in the Atlanta area. And you've got some stuff coming up. And I know you're speaking at an event. So this is your chance. What do you want to say to these people about the upcoming events? Well, uh, yeah, and I have a couple of them coming up. So one's uh, the, the last Wednesday in the month of, of March. It's Scrum Atlanta. Uh, I'll be giving a talk there on leadership. And, um, and that's, that should be a fun one. I'm going to try to make all these fun for myself, you know, <laughs> if nothing else is going to be fun for, for me and hopefully for the audience too. Uh, in uh, May, on May 8th, we have Azure Day Atlanta. Uh, which I, which I helped put on and, um, there's three of us that put it on and, and we've got a fantastic group of people that are coming to speak. Uh, Doc Norton is going to be the headline from the keynote side, uh, has business agility tracks as well as fundamentals, which is a track that is all about how to make things, uh, funner, uh, for, for all given our traditional approaches and, uh, and then experience reports. So that'll, that'll be a great time uh there in atlanta uh and then in detroit i'll be speaking with at agile and beyond uh later on that month and um and that one will also be on leadership and and it will be a good time as well okay and i'm going to include links to both of these um okay what if they want to get in touch with you and ask you questions just so that you can say no to them uh, if you'd like to be told no, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, and I'm very accessible on LinkedIn. So, uh, otherwise it's Tim at leadingagile.com. Cool. All right, dude, thanks a lot for doing this. I really appreciate it. And hopefully for those of you listening, hopefully this provided some valuable information. If you have follow-up questions, you can also send them to me. Um, and my, my contact information will be in the show notes. So dude, thank you very much for this. Thanks for having me, Dave. It was a blast. Mm-hmm.